Second Samuel chapter 16, let's begin reading in verse number 5, and we'll read down to verse number 13, and then we'll have a word of prayer over these prayer requests. The Bible says that when King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gerah. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. The Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. Behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. The king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him. And cast dust. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you tonight with hearts that are bursting and full of needs and of desires and of cares and of anxieties. And Lord, just so many things that we ourselves do not have the wherewithal to address and to, and to solve. But we've come to you tonight knowing that you're all powerful. Lord, knowing that you care about these things. And Lord, even, even if they're things that would not normally be worthy of caring because we care of them, you care. Lord, you bear our burdens and we can cast our burdens upon you knowing you care for us. So we've brought these things tonight, Lord, in faith, believing your word and trusting your care and your providence. There are families that are bereaved tonight, Lord. There are lost people that could be on the brink of hell. There are family and friends that we love that are in the clutches and gall of iniquity and in the bondage of Satan. And God, there are physical needs that... We cannot solve financial needs that we cannot meet. Lord, there's just so many things bigger than us. But God, I'm glad none of them are bigger than you tonight. And that you have the means and you have the power and you have the wisdom to address and to solve these situations. So we know we can leave them in your care tonight. And we just ask that you would answer them according to thy will. Be with the preaching tonight. May it minister to the people of God. May it draw us closer unto thee. For we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm interested particularly in a statement that David makes that I think is probably hard for a lot of us to reconcile. And it comes in verse number 11. The Bible says that David said to Abishai and all of his servants, Behold, my son which came forth of my bowels seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite, and he's talking about this man Shimei, a descendant of Saul, how much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. Give you a little bit of context. David has been expelled from his own kingdom by his son Absalom. He is fleeing in disgrace and humiliation. And it is probably one of the lowest points in his entire reign. 
in the midst of this, I'd say this, if you want to wonder what a bad day looks like, look at where David's at right now. He's having what we could call a bad day. And then in the midst of this lowest of low places, this man named Shimei comes out and begins to curse at David, begins to say all manner of ugly and spiteful and vicious things to him, begins to pick up rocks and throw at David, begins to uh, spit upon him and cast dust at him and make a public spectacle of David's shame and make mockery of his life. In response to this, Abishai, the uh, servant to David, asks his king if he can kindly go and separate that man's head from his shoulders. Amen? And David's reply is essentially this. God has instructed this man, curse me. It's not my place to tell him not to curse me. And it could be God will bring blessing out of this cursing. So he looks at his servants and says, the best thing to do in this situation is just to let him alone and let him curse. I want to preach to you on that thought tonight. Let him alone and let him curse. You know, if you live in this world long enough, you're going to make one or two enemies. Uh, you're going to have some days, maybe not quite as bad as David has had here, but you're going to have a, a version of it in your life, a low place. You're going to have instances in which people will come to you and treat you with great malice, great cruelty, and great unkindness. You know, we live in a hateful world. You can turn on the TV and see we live in a hateful world. We live in the kind of world where if you uh, vote for the wrong person, hold the wrong set of beliefs, somebody might just walk up to you and kill you. It's happened lately on the streets of this country. We live in a world where hate seems to dwell in the hearts of people. And as Christians, we particularly will experience at times the ire of people, the spite of people. The Lord Jesus said that the world would hate us, but it would not really be us that it would hate. It would be that it hates Christ. That should tell us two things. One, it should remind us that we're not, we're not so special or, or important as to think the world's really that concerned with us. It's Jesus in us that they're bothered by. But then number two, it should remind us that the same uh, vehement hatred that they illustrated towards the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be directed at us. And as that is the case, we need to know how we ought to respond in these situations. Now, to give you a little bit of an introduction, let's notice first off the cruel railing of Shimei. The bullying, the spite, the hatred, uh, the miserable venom that he spits at David in this passage. Look back at verse number 7. The Bible says, thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. Now, you and I, we don't use that terminology very often, man of Belial. At least I would assume you probably don't. I don't say it very often about anybody. But what exactly is Shimei saying here? When he calls David a bloody man, he's calling him a murderer. He's calling him a violent man. He's calling him a vicious man. He's calling David a cruel individual. By the way, there's a little bit of what the psychologists might call transference here. Have you noticed it? What Shimei is, is what he's declaring David to be. Can I say we see this employed all over the world today? What the world is, they project us as being. The world is bigoted. They project us as bigoted. The world is intolerant, and so it projects us as being intolerant. The world is cruel, so it proclaims Christians to be cruel. 
Uh, we need to be careful lest we buy into that ideology. There are, are whole groups of people, and I'm talking about a lot of uh, professed Christian people that operate under that same system of thinking that our country is cruel and racist and vicious and needs to be torn down to the very roots and foundations. I don't believe that tonight. I don't believe... I appreciate that, honey. Thank you for that. Amen. I'll let you pick the TV program tonight. I don't believe that. I don't believe our country's racist. Institutionally. I don't believe our country's institutionally racist. I was going to preach on this. Maybe I'll just preach on that. I don't believe that's what our country is. But we are told that's what it is. This goes on all across the the globe, all across the world. So Shimei, he calls him a bloody man. Number two, he calls him a man of Belial. Now this meant a man that is outside of the law. Uh, an outlaw, a lawless individual. Someone that is without law, someone that is wicked, that is unrighteous. Can I make this statement tonight? I notice about Shimei's statement that it was insultingly humiliating to David. At this moment when David is being expelled from his own kingdom, what Shimei is essentially saying is that David is a wicked man and a shameful outlaw on the run from righteous pursuers. He's saying, David, this is happening to you because you are wicked, because you are unrighteous. He is ascribing to David immorality and unjustness in his behavior. It was insultingly humiliating. He came to him at his lowest time and poured salt in the wound. You know, there's going to be times in your life and mine when people sense the vulnerability of our pain and of our hurt and, uh, and approach us to pounce on us in that moment of weakness, to twist the knife, uh, to, to pour the salt in, to make our situation worse than what it currently was. And that's what Shimei is doing here. This is not just a generic insult. Uh, he's, he's not, this isn't just a, a schoolyard curse or, 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 uh, or uh, you know, taunt that he is issuing forth. He is literally coming to David at this lowest moment and saying that David is getting what's coming to him. Number two, I would notice it was ignorantly hurled. If you ain't going to amen me no better than that, I ain't going to preach no better than that. Number two, I notice it was ignorantly hurled. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. In other words, he's saying, David, this is happening to you because of what you've done in your life. Shimei proclaimed that David's expulsion was divine judgment for his merciless treatment of Saul and his house. He was saying, you were cruel to Saul, and now Saul is being cruel to you. In other words, saying this is just the Lord pouring out divine judgment upon you. In fact, David had been supremely merciful to Saul. David could have killed him on multiple occasions. And he spared his life on several occasions. He had also showed kindness to Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth. He had restored to him his lands. He had restored to him a place of privilege and a place of, of fellowship with him. He would adopted him as one of the king's sons. In other words, Shimei didn't know what he was talking about when he was making this statement. It was rooted in ignorance. He was talking about something that he didn't know anything about. He was saying that David had been cruel to Saul, but he really didn't know anything of the matter. You know, there's going to be times in your life that you're going to be criticized, that you're going to be mocked and belittled, and sometimes they'll come to you at your lowest moment and they'll try to twist the knife and they'll try to hurt you. At other times, they'll make things up out of whole cloth that have no foundation of truth or reality in them. It was ignorantly hurled. Number three, it was an intentionally... Look at the end of verse number 8. He says, And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. 
And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Shimei crowned his cursing with a spiteful reference to the betrayal of David's son, Absalom. Isn't it interesting he brought up Absalom's name? He didn't have to do that. But he mentions Absalom's name. This last blow was designed to inflict maximum pain and heartache. He stated that Absalom's actions were David's fault and that they were the fruit of the mischief that David had supposedly worked in his life. You know, the reason this statement was so hurtful is because there was, unbeknownst to Shimei, a grain of truth in it. Absalom's actions were indeed part of God's judgment on David's house, but not for any sin against Saul. You remember when David committed iniquity with Bathsheba, part of the judgment of God upon David would be that the sword would never depart from his family. And Absalom's betrayal was a result of what David had done, but it didn't have nothing to do with Saul. Shimei could have never known about these things. And to our knowledge, it wasn't public knowledge in the land of Israel, at least not early on, what had transpired and taken place. But listen, Shimei, he could have never hoped or imagined that his words would cut so deep. Sometimes people say things to you. You listening? Sometimes people say things to you that hurt you in ways they don't even understand. They don't even understand. I've been guilty of that. And I guarantee you've been guilty of that. I've been the recipient of it. And I'm sure you've been the recipient of it. Sometimes people say things intending them in kindness, but at other times they say things intending them to hurt, but they have no clue just how hurtful they are. In other words, he's trying to cut as deep as he can, and he cuts deeper than even he could have possibly imagined. This is the sort of hostility that Shimei uh, poured upon David. And that's the sort of hostility, if you live in this world and have an open Christian testimony, you'll experience that sort of thing. Now listen, let me make it clear now. We're not victims. We're victors in Christ Jesus. We're more than conquerors. I'm not trying to say, we, boy, we've got it so rough. But I am saying, if you live as an open Christian in this world, and let me say, the only way to live as a Christian is to live as an open Christian. If you're living as a secret disciple, you're not living as a Christian the way that God intended us to. And if you live as an open Christian, there's going to be times that people are going to try to hurt you and try to wound you. So we see the cruel railing of Shimei. I just, I'm not going to preach on it, but let me just notice the natural reaction of Abishai. I like Abishai. I like him better than David did at that moment. In verse 9, then said Abishai, the son of Zerah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. Let me go ahead and tell you, if I'd been standing in the crowd, I'd have said, Yeah! I'd have said, That's right! I'd have said, Go go teach him what for! If, uh, if I had been Abishai, I would have probably had the same response. If I had been in the crowd and heard what David replied to him, I would have thought to myself, why is David allowing that to happen? You see, what Abishai suggests here is a natural reaction. It is natural when people lash out at you to want to lash back. It is natural when people hurt you for you to want to hurt them back. That's natural. But can I remind you that as Christians, we're not to operate in what's natural, but in what's supernatural. It is normal, and oftentimes I will have, I've counseled people going through conflict in their life, and they'll say things like, well, preacher, what would you have done? Or don't you understand why I did this and why I did that? And if I'm to be honest, I have to admit, you know, my flesh may have done exactly what your flesh did, and I completely understand why you did what you did, but that doesn't make it the right response. You can be completely justified in the world's eyes, completely in keeping and in line with what the flesh expects, and still not be responding and reacting in the right way. 
See, I see the natural reaction of Abishai, but then I see the spiritual response of David. And that's what I want to spend a moment or two talking about tonight. How David responded. How Abishai wanted to respond. That was natural. Nobody would have blamed him. I could even sense sort of the the chuckle in the room when we read verse 9 when we were reading in the text because we were all thinking the same thing. Yeah, that's what I would have said. David transcends. He moves past that. Can I read a passage of Scripture for you that I think summarizes David's response and then we'll go in more deeply and pick it apart. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 2 says about the Lord Jesus. Verse number 19 says, For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering, wrongfully. There's not a person in this room who wants to have grief. There's not a person in this room that wants to suffer wrongfully. But God says if you do so in the right way with, with conscience towards God, doing it because it pleases the Lord, the Bible says this is thankworthy. God's pleased with it. He says, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Now let me tell you where the world's frame of mind is at. The world's frame of mind is to be buffeted for your faults and then lash back at the person. That's the bar that the world sets, right? Is I, is I slap you and then scream out in pain. That's the world's philosophy. God says the baseline is even above that. The baseline is when you do something wrong and you take it patiently, you should expect to have to take it patiently because you did something wrong. So we have the world standard. We have the natural standard. But then God expresses to us a higher standard. He says, but if when you do well and suffer for it, doing the right thing, living the right way. Can I remind you, David was not a perfect man in his life, but David had not done anything immediately to Absalom that should have produced this incident in his life. Certainly David was not living in open sin in his life. He is suffering wrongfully in what he's experiencing. And beyond that, he certainly had done nothing to Shimei. If David had done what most people would have done, he would have killed Shimei when he first ascended the throne. But in fact, David spares Shimei's life. And it's not until much later, after Solomon too has extended grace to Shimei, that finally Shimei is put to death because he is unwilling to relent to what the king, uh, the boundaries that Solomon put upon him. David had done nothing wrong. But instead, he takes it patiently. The Bible says this is acceptable with God. And here's, here's Peter's proof text. Here's his example. He says, for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Now here's the example of the Lord Jesus, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. Now, can I just say something here? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to get into my message tonight, but can I just say this? The best you and I could do if somebody cussed us is cuss back at them. That's the strongest we could do. That is the most powerful we could do. That's the most visceral response. If they cuss at us, we'll cuss back at them. If the Lord Jesus had opened His mouth, He could have destroyed every single one of His oppressors. And all He would have had to have done was open His mouth. If He had answered them in kind to what they, when they cursed Him, if He had cursed them back, it would have cursed them straight into the pit of hell. But He didn't do it. He reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. For this is what he did. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. 
And I think this is what David did long before the Holy Ghost ever put the pen in Peter's hand and, and this was pinned down long before the Lord Jesus ever left that example for us through Calvary. Long, listen, I mean, even long before Isaiah would, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, pin down those verses that would prophesy the suffering of the Lord Jesus in Isaiah 53. David exhibited the spirit and attitude of Christ when he dealt with Shimei. So here's a question I want to ask you. When people mistreat us, when they're cruel to us, when they're ugly to us, when they say hateful things about us and to us, when they try their best to hurt us, what's the best way? I'm not saying what's the what's the understandable way, what's the expected way, what's the natural way. We know what that would be. Uh, it'd be what Abishai said, off with their head. But what's the best way we can respond? I think David gives us an example. Look back in verse number 10 of our text. The Bible says that the king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zerah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? Can I ask a very obvious question? Do you think David really believed that God looked down from heaven and laid it on the heart of Shimei to curse David? I don't believe that. And I don't believe that's what David's saying either. I think what David's saying is this. He looks at the cruelty that's being shown to him and he declared it to be providential. He recognized that nothing ever happens in this world that's out of God's control. Can I make a distinction for you? God doesn't control everything, but there's never anything that's out of God's control. Now what that is to mean is that God doesn't make the lost man sin, but He is aware of the lost man's sin. And should it be in his interest or in his will to prohibit or to restrict or restrain that action, God has the ability to do that. In other words, you and I, we have free will. And God doesn't trample upon that free will. But never for one moment does our free will circumvent God's providence. God, though He does not control everything, and man has real, unlimited, real, genuine, sincere, uh, unfeigned free will, that doesn't mean that God is ever for one moment out of control. Never that there's anything that transpires that's out of control in this world. He, it's Listen, this world, me and Brother Fred were talking about this tonight, this world may be the devil's jurisdiction, but the universe is God's. And so nothing ever happens that is outside of his control or his jurisdiction. So David looks at this man that's cursing him. And I don't think he's saying God wants Shimei to curse me, but I, I do think he's saying this. If God wanted to stop him, he could stop him. But he doesn't. You know, in your life and mine, when people mistreat us, if God wanted to restrain them, he could. If he doesn't, it's because he doesn't want to. Now, that's not to suggest it's because God wants us to suffer. God's doing a lot of things in your life and in my life. Can I just remind you that our pride is not God's priority. Our comfort is not His priority. Our surface level happiness is not His priority. Our, our, our deep abiding joy is, but our surface level happiness is not His priority. And it would do us well to be reminded when people in the world treat us cruelly. And you're going to have people treat you cruel. You'll have family be cruel to you. You'll have... Uh, loved ones be cruel to you. You might have church family be cruel to you. You'll have strangers be cruel to you. And when those moments come, it would do us well to regard it as divine. To be reminded that God could stop them if He wanted to stop them. 
and he's not stopping them. So here's the second thing David did. He said, who shall then say, wherefore hast thou done so? Man, that's astounding. David says, I don't have the right to tell God how to run his business. God could restrain Shimei if he wanted to. But it's not my job to tell God who to restrain and who to permit. He not only regarded it as divine, he received it as divine. You know, something interesting in this passage, never once does David blame Shimei for what he's doing. And I don't think it's because he felt like Shimei was without fault. You've heard me say this before. I think there are three ways in which we can approach oppression or or cruelty in our life. I think the lowest tier is to ascribe it to the person that is perpetuating. Say, that person is hurting me. That person is attacking me. I think the next highest tier we can do is to recognize the satanic desiring and say, you know, the devil's trying to discourage me. The devil's trying to derail me. The devil's trying to delay me. And the devil's trying to keep me from serving God. I think it's better to see when the devil's trying to do something than to see it and personify it simply as that person. I said this earlier, but it's hard for us to recognize. Ain't none of us really important enough for the world to hate. I'm just being honest with you tonight. And that person that you may look at and think, uh, their whole life is about destroying me. Chances are it's not. But you do have an enemy that does want to destroy you. And he'll use whatever means he can to do so. But can I tell you the, the third level? Can I, can I tell you the highest plane to live on? It's not to say that person did this. And it's not to say the devil did this. But it's to recognize that at the end of the day, God's in control of everything. And not to ask, what is that person doing? Not to ask, what is the devil doing? But to ask, what is God doing in my life? He could stop this. And if he doesn't stop it, he must have a reason for it. Now, let me be abundantly clear tonight. I'm not suggesting it's always the will of God for us to be subject to abuse. I'm not saying it's the will of God for us to just be a punching bag. But I am saying uh, sooner or later you're going to get punched in this old world. And when those times come, we need to recognize who it is that's in control. He says, who shall then say, wherefore hast thou done so? Man, that is that is astounding to me. He says, it's not my place to tell this man not to curse because God has the ability to stop him if he wants to. And God has not stopped him. That is, that's a, I'm just saying, man, that's a level of spirituality. I don't know if I'll ever reach. I'm being honest. It's almost hard for me to fathom a man standing there cursing at him, spitting at him, throwing rocks at him. And his response is not to throw him back. His response is not to strike him down. His response is to look towards heaven and say, God, why do I need these curses? Why do I need these rocks? Why do I need these things in my life? Surely, Lord, you could take them away if you wanted to. So if they're here, they must be here for a reason. He received it as divine. He declared it to be providential. Look at verse 11 with me. The Bible says that David said to Abishai, now we know what's happened here. Abishai says, let me go take his head off. And David said to Abishai and all of his servants, behold, my son which came forth of my bowels seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. So number one, when he's facing this hostility, he declared it to be providential. Number two, I think, is almost an observation. But in that observation, he declared it to be normal. That's what he says, isn't it? 
He says, Absalom's turned his back on me. Absalom's cussing me. Absalom's cursing me. Absalom's attacking me. So why shouldn't this Benjamite do it? Now, there's a few different ways that we can read that. One, we can read it as him saying that it is to be expected. If Absalom will do it, then we can expect that this man would do it. And I think there's some truth there. I think, number two, you could look at that at this and he could be complaining. He could be saying, well, first Absalom has betrayed me and now this man is cussing me. I don't think that's what David's saying. But I think there's a third way we can understand this. And it's by contrast and comparison. Notice first off the monumental pain of Absalom's betrayal. The way he describes it, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. Now, I don't think David is saying, if that man would curse me, it's appropriate for this man to curse me. But I think rather what he's saying is, Abishai, do you realize right now what I'm going through? Do you realize what I'm dealing with right now? My own son that I love, that I care for, that I held, that I bounced on my knee, that I raised, that is my very life. And he would go on, we know Absalom would die, and David would lament him and say, my son, my son Absalom, oh, that, that I had died and you had lived. David says, I'm going through this. And then he looks over at the minimal pain of Shimei's blustering. And he says, if I can deal with that, then surely I can deal with this. In other words, he's saying, I've got a swarm of locusts that are covering me over. You think I can't swap this house fly away? If I can go through all that and God can give me strength and God can give me grace, if I can deal with my own son hurting me and desiring to kill me, you think I can't deal with this blockhead, <laughs> shimmy eye, blustering about? And throwing stones at me that are never... By the way, I like this. I hadn't thought about it till just now, but I'm going to say it. You know, we don't, we don't read a single one of those stones ever hitting him. They just thrown them at him, but they never did hit him. You know, a lot of times the way people's trying to hurt us, it only hurts us if we let them hurt us. You know, I bet you this, I don't know how far they were away. Far enough away, I don't imagine these rocks would have hit them. But you know what would have happened if David had walked over there try to handle it himself, he probably would have got hit by a rock or two. You know, it may be the best way for us to deal with it when folks is hurting us is to separate away to the Lord. I'm not talking about physical proximity, but to separate away to the Lord, to get in that secret place of the Most High, to get in that hiding place and to just get peace from the Lord and ask God to give us the peace that we need. And we might find out an area one of those rocks ever hits us. What did you and I say on the schoolyard? Sticks and stones. But words may never hurt me. We know words can hurt, but only in as much as we give them place. And David instead, he looks at it and he says, you know, if I can deal with what Absalom's doing, surely I can deal with what Shimei's doing. And can I just make this statement to, to us here? Most of us that have walked through this world more than about 10 minutes as a Christian, whatever anybody's saying to you, you've probably been through harder. You've probably, if you were to be honest, you've probably been through worse. It may hurt right now and there may be pain that you've done, forgot about and healed through and gone through. But probably somebody coming up and saying something ugly to you, shooting off at the mouth, being cruel to you. If that's the worst problem you ever deal with, you're probably going to be okay. In fact, you're probably going to be better than most. I think David in declaring it to be normal, what he's saying is, you know, 
hostility and conflict and pain and sorrow are a part of this world's experience. And I have experienced far worse than what Shimei is doing. Why am I going to get bent out of shape? Because this nobody is hurling insults at me. Abishai, don't you know my very precious son has betrayed me? If God can give me grace in that, He can give me grace in this. Then He makes a third statement. I'm going to mention this and read a few Scriptures and be done tonight. Verse 12 is probably the most uh, sublime of all that He says in this passage. He says, It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for His cursing this day. As David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. So David declares this cursing of Shimei to be providential. God could stop him if he wanted to stop him. So instead of sitting around tore up, I mean from from crown to toenail over the fact that this has happened, I'm going to look towards heaven. I'm going to try to find out what God's doing in my life through this thing because Evidently, God has something He wants to do through this because He's not stopping this man from cursing me. Number two, He declares it to be normal. He says, you know, I'm dealing with what Absalom's done. You think I can't handle this? It's part of this broken world and it will be forever until the Lord heals this land. Then number three, He declared it to be beneficial. Now that's amazing to me. In verse 12, He says, you know, God's doing things through this that He could do no other way. And I'm going to be a better man for what I'm enduring this day. And he gives two reasons for it. One, he declares that the Lord will behold his affliction. He says it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction. Now, there's a couple things that he says there that I think are worth noting. One, David says something I think is maybe not entirely honest, but I think more likely than not, it's merely humble. He says it may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction. Can I say to you, it's not maybe. God will most certainly look on our affliction. God sees everything. God's aware of everything. His eyes behold the righteous and the unrighteous. His eyes behold all things. Can I say that whatever has been spoken to you in cruelty and malice, it's been recorded down in heaven. And God knows about it. The Bible says one day men are going to be judged by every idle word. Every single one. There's never been anything you or I have said that God hadn't taken note of. That's a that's a startling thought. It's a sobering thought. But it's a soothing thought when you're the recipient of cruelty. But then there's a second thing he says. He says, look on mine affliction. And this doesn't just mean God will see it. But it means that God would pay attention to it. Can I give you an example of this? We forever, there'll be, uh, you know, court cases and lawsuits that are taking place in in our country right now, they say Knox County is dealing with several lawsuits over the mask mandate stuff. And usually what happens with those things is they'll go to a, a very lower court and, and oftentimes they'll kick it further up to another court and to another court and to another court. And we know that in our system, once things reach the federal courts, the highest court in the land is the Supreme Court. And every single court session or court season, there's always discussions about what what cases the Supreme Court will take up, whether they'll take up a case or not. And there are times the Supreme Court says we're unwilling to do it or we don't think it's appropriate to. Uh, There's times that they probably just don't want to because they don't want the conflict of it. But when they take up a court case, what they're saying is we're going to look into that. 
And we're going to issue judgment on that. We're going to weigh that. We're going to determine what is right about that. I think that's sort of what David means here when he says the Lord will look on my affliction. I think he's saying it may be that the Lord is going to take up my case one of these days and preside as judge over what has happened. Can I tell you that one of these days the Lord is going to take up your case and my case and he's going to set as judge over what's transpired in our life. So he says the Lord would behold his affliction. And listen, when the dust settled and when the cursing died on the wind, it was not the end of it all. One day Shimei would have to answer to God for it. And the people that might have abused you or me or might have wounded you or me, one day they'll have to answer to God for it. And the people we might be cruel to or we might hurt, one day we'll have to answer to God for it. One day the judge of all the earth is going to start taking up cases. Then number two, he says the Lord would bless his affliction. He says the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. David says God's going to bring good out of this. God's going to bless me for what I have experienced. Now, do we have any reason to believe that God would bless us for the pain or the suffering we've experienced? I think we do. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 The Lord in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. It's about as clear as it could be made. Now, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, Paul said, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, it could be because of the pain you're going through, because of the affliction you are experiencing, that God's going to bring about blessings in your life He could not bring about any other way. You see how it's all tied in together? You go back to that first point, it being providential, and you might say to yourself, well, why would God allow this? David knows why, because it says it in verse 12. God wants to bless me in ways that He can bring about in no other way than by letting this dog curse me, by letting this evil, cruel man pour malice and pour hatred upon me. But through that, God is going to do something greater than He could do in any other way in my life. What's our attitude need to be? Well, again, Peter gives us the right instruction. In 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'm going to read this and be done tonight. Peter says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happier ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he, talking about the Lord, is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on this behalf. Down in verse 19, he summarizes it. He says, wherefore... Let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So preacher, how do I respond when people hurt me? Well, you don't respond by hurting them back. You don't even really respond by taking up your own case and setting His judge over it. Say, how do I respond when people hurt me? You do what David did. You regard it as providential. Man, if God wanted to stop them from hurting me, He could stop them from hurting me And I'm not saying God is pleased that I'm hurting, but I am saying there is something in the pain I'm experiencing that God sees as useful and profitable. 
you can regard it as normal. You can look at it and just reframe it. Be honest with yourself. Be on, I know it hurts in that moment, but be honest with yourself. Chances are somebody attacks you and hurts you like that. You've probably been through worse. And if God helped you through that, God can help you through this. And then declare it to be beneficial. And recognize that, man, if God's doing this, He's going to bring good out of it. We'll keep a Christian spirit and Christian attitude committed unto the Lord as unto a faithful Creator. And He is a faithful Creator. We're under His jurisdiction. We're born again believers, born into the kingdom of God. If you're not, you can get saved tonight. But I trust on a Wednesday night, I'm probably talking to uh, all or most uh, saved people tonight. And if that's the case, listen, He's your heavenly Father. Trust Him. Trust Him with Him. He's in control. Let's bow together tonight as the musician comes to play. The altar is open. And uh, I just invite you to come. If God's spoken to your heart about something, maybe He's given you encouragement about something. Maybe He's given you peace about something. Maybe He's given you a burden about something. But if in some way God has stirred your heart, don't you find a place at this altar and commit your soul unto Him as unto a faithful Creator. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.